0: Well, Harold wrote me a note, <laughs> and sent it by Don Richardson. Um, why did he have to get sick today, or yesterday? Uh, I think he warned you about the difficulty of the text, and, and I don't want to reinforce that, uh, lest you um, say I handle the text poorly. But this is a difficult passage. Not much is said by the commentators on it. They kind of whisk by it. And uh, I have a couple of books I want to quote from, but uh, I'm not sure they're the last word in wisdom about this uh, particular text. But anyway, Harold says, Sikkim. Uh, he has a lot of words that, uh, that go back a few years. Uh, and he particularly cautioned and warned me by saying, Watch out for the... The woman in the text. Well, I will. Uh, I don't want to be seduced either by a woman or by false wisdom. And by the way, a false wisdom is personified, or, or uh, a seductive woman is personified here, and in the book of Proverbs uh, as false wisdom. And Lord bless you. We're praying a lot for you. I hope so, Harold. Get well quick, huh? This is his series. We want him to finish it, and I'd like to see it in publication, frankly. I think we've heard some of the finest messages on a difficult book that you may ever hear, and uh, maybe we could get that in print. Um, About the uh, Reader's Digest sweepstakes, Uh, this is not true confession time, but I know one charming lady to whom I've been married for 26 years that's going to win it, okay? In fact, so confident is she that she's already spent most of the money. And uh, I'm so confident she's not going to win that I don't even want uh, any say at all in the uh, use of those monies. Uh, she's probably spent enough on postage to uh, contribute uh, measurably to the, the balanced budget of our postal service. <clears throat> Let's read, shall we? Commencing in verse 19 of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Also do not take seriously all words which are spoken, lest you hear your servant cursing you. For you also have realized that you likewise have many times cursed others. I tested all this with wisdom, and I said, I'll be wise, but it was far from me. What has been remote, what has been is remote, and exceedingly mysterious, who can discover it? I directed my mind to know, to investigate, to seek wisdom and explanation, and to know the evil of folly and the foolishness of madness. And I discovered more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are chains. One who is pleasing to God will escape from her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Behold, I've discovered this, says the preacher, adding one thing to another to find an explanation, which I'm still seeking, but have not found. I've found one man among a thousand, but have not found a woman among all these. Behold, I've found only this, that God made men upright, but they've sought out many devices. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, it's your word you've given it to us, much of it in parabolic form and in Proverbs, so that uh, those who whose hearts are resistant, whose minds are blind, and who are willfully set against thee could not understand, uh, but the meek and the lowly, the babes, and you reveal, Lord, the essential truth of all we need to know about what you've said. And we pray your blessing on us. We understand, by the author of Solomon, a very wise man, and yet he too experienced the frustration of not being able to lay hold of optimum wisdom. Uh, we're to seek it, we're to pursue after it, but we're to also recognize that it's a gift from above, and uh, it does not have its origin within the heart of man. And so bless us, help us to realize that the only wisdom we have is the fact that Jesus has been made unto us wisdom. And help us to rest in him and allow him thus to do the choosing. Thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Not much is written about this chapter, as I've indicated. Some men make it allegorical, and they try to fit Israel or pagan heathen nations into all the opposing and contrasting forces in verses 19 through 29. And uh, there's got to be some application to Israel, and uh, I'm certain that the false woman here, the false wisdom, the seductive woman, has to in some way relate to pagan heathen nations that know not the Lord, uh, therefore are devoid of any wisdom. Uh, from the Lord. But it's rent with problems, uh, you've got the problem of women here. Peter in First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 7 uh, makes a statement that's been argued for years as to what it really means. And in instructing husbands, he says that we are to honor the wife as the weaker vessel. And there has been a historical argument as to how a woman is weaker than a man. Now, the Bible does not tell us to honor women as inferior vessels, okay? It is to make a clear delineation between inferiority and a weakness. But as to what this essential weakness is, which seems to be common to all women, uh, I don't really know. And frankly, I'm a little scared to try to define what I think, uh, lest I not escape uh, uh, you women. But I've got to believe that if that is in fact a part of the Sacred record, then there is something about women uh, designed into their role, if not into their body and mental processes, a weakness that's common to them that's not common to men. Uh, Some suggest, by reason of the fact there's nothing in the Sacred record attributable to women as to inspirational, uh, divinely given writings that wisdom is the thing that they lack that, that that element of wisdom does not reside within them innately as it resides in men uh, I want to be cautious about how much credibility I give to that viewpoint <coughs> we know that women are weaker uh, as to muscle tone and structure although I think even from a doctor's perspective uh, it's provable that women, uh, historically, can handle pain better than men. Um, but I know that I'm stronger than my wife. I can, I can out-wrestle her, you know, at the table with arms. And, and, uh, but frankly, I, I don't think the Bible, when it tells us as men to honor our wives as the weaker vessel, it's talking about superior physical strength. I'm not sure what it's talking about, really. It may... It may be touching the area of wisdom, but if that is true, it doesn't mean that, that women are stupid, and it doesn't mean that all men are wise. Um, just leave that thought with you and uh, <laughs> as a possibility, and then I'll do a little quoting and put the burden on uh, some men wiser than myself. Verse 19, wisdom strengthens a wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Uh, That could cause each of us to at least uh, try to lay hold of wisdom, right? Try to apprehend it and seek it out. And uh, I I think that's true. Um, I think history, if you're a war buff, uh, would prove the statement here of Solomon. Uh, Can you reflect back in your mind's memory and think of, of countries and emperors and rulers? Uh, who had uh, invented the absolute defensive weapon or system of weapons that would ensure their safety from their enemies? Oh yes, those of you who know history. Remember the French built that massive Maginot line of all these concrete reinforced bunkers and uh, that was going to insulate them from their enemies to the east? Well, well, what happened? Wisdom prevailed. The Midianites thought they were an impenetrable, impenetrable host, you know, against Gideon and his weak army. And yet, in that instance, against the Gideonites, against the Midianites, Gideon and his three hundred prevailed. So, superior wisdom uh, is uh, is better than uh, carnal military force. We need to seek after it. A person who has wisdom has more strength, has more capacity than formidable armies and implements of war. Uh, They talk today about an impenetrable shield against nuclear weapons. Uh, You know, we've got the bases up in Canada and around the world, and, and we're so trying to design our implements of war in all of their intricacies as to be able to reach the missiles that might be coming our way before they get into our immediate hemisphere. And it's called a protective shield. Uh, Isn't it interesting uh, how man in his wisdom uh, and in all the technology, he ultimately turns what could be good against himself by reason of moral perversion and decadence indeed there's not a righteous man on the earth who continually does good and who never sins that's life's most common denominator the fact that we all sin and come short of the glory of god and and that's probably satan's um, strongest thrust into the hearts of unbelieving men people don't want to believe that i'm dealing with a guy right now 81 years old who belongs to an organization that says if you do right live by the golden rule treat your neighbor as yourself pay your bills on time Uh, god will have to welcome you into his heaven but his own heart condemns him and despite the protestations of his wife that she thinks he's good enough uh, without the necessity of the sacrifice of the cross his own heart condemns him and he keeps talking to me about his failures and his shortcomings which, you know, betray his confidence that his works are sufficient to gain him entrance into heaven. There's none righteous, no, not one. Now, the Bible, Bible does not say all have sinned equally, but we all fall short. We all fall short. And, and, that, and that humanism does, want, does not want to believe that. Uh, pride within the human heart says, I, I don't have to believe that. And until there is an acknowledgement of that coming short and until there is one who contrasts himself in his weakness and sin against the infinite holiness of god uh, they will not see their need of salvation in verse 21 uh, the bible makes it clear here and i think solomon makes it clear that uh, you're not to have rabbit ears when i was a child um, my ears protruded Outwardly, rather than forward. And uh, some said and suggested that uh, I was three years old before they knew I was going to walk or fly. Um, that's protruding ears. Um, but listen, you know what it means to have rabbit ears, right? And uh, Solomon warns us in his wisdom about that. Also, do not take seriously all words which are spoken. You know, the the person who likes and admires you and appreciates you the most at some point is going to make a little derogatory dig about you in the presence of someone else. Uh, A sure sign of insecurity is that you've got to hear everything everyone says about you. You don't have to. Your best friend, your most dependable friend, at some point is going to give a little dig and say a little thing about you Uh, And if you feel you've got to hear and know everything, and if you think everybody's going to like you all the time, 100%, you are wrong. And if you have rabbit ears, and I mean rabbit ears in the sense that you've got to hear everything anyone might say about you, good or evil, you're going to wear your emotions on your your shoulder, and you're going to be consistently hurt the length of your days. Everyone isn't going to like you. Now, I think it's good if within your heart you want to be liked and loved by everyone. But that will not be true. The most lovely, the most wonderful, the most perfect, the only perfect individual that ever walked the face of this earth uh, received, received abuse, castigation, as though he were the vilest of sinners. And the contrast between light and darkness is so great that it cannot be reconciled. And people who are living in the kingdom of Satan cannot understand those who are in the kingdom of god's dear son we expect too much understanding from hearts that are depraved from minds that are enmity against god whose reasonings are after the course of this world we expect too much acceptance too much appreciation from them and you've said things even about people that you love dearly that you wouldn't want them hearing right just said in jest and uh hey we're all guilty we're all guilty but we need to have ears that don't need to hear everything. Look at David in chapter 38 of the Psalms, verse 14. Turn there quickly, 38:14. Yes, I'm like a man who does not hear. It's a simile. Uh, he, he does have hearing. It's good hearing. But he purposely avoids uh, paying attention to some things. And in whose mouth are no arguments. Now he gives the reason why he doesn't have to hear everything and why he doesn't have to answer everything. And again, I think there's no greater symptom of personal insecurity when you have to get in the last word. Because you presume that the last word will exonerate you, justify you, and fully persuade the other person that you're right. Wrong, huh? Wrong! Somehow there's a pride and frustration that tells us that we've got to come to our own defense. And David gives a reason why he didn't need to hear everything. He didn't need to always have the last word when he said in verse 15, For I hope in thee, O Lord. And when our hope is in the Lord, when our understanding comes from him, when we make him our defender and the one who justifies us, we don't have to hear everything. We don't have to answer everything. We can leave things to the one in whom we hope, and that is the Lord. For I hope in thee, O Lord. Thou wilt answer, O oh Lord my God. It may not be in the context of time, but in eternity, God will give the answer uh, to that uh, heart that is allied against you if there need be uh, an answer. So don't have rabbit ears. Rabbit ears will make you angry. It'll, they'll frustrate you. You don't need to hear everything. You don't need to know everything. Some things should be left unknown. You can't repeat every matter. You can't defend yourself. Sometimes you're perfectly innocent, but in defending yourself, you have to expose others who may not be innocent, and you worsen the situation. Some things must go, need to go, unexplained until the light of eternity reveals the true nature of the fact. Don't have rabbit ears. 21. Verse 21. Also, do not take seriously... Uh, I beg your pardon. That's it. Verse Verse 22. Uh, chickens uh, come home to roost, okay? Verse 22, For you also have realized that you likewise have many times cursed others. <laughs> the sin that others are guilty of, uh, you well could be guilty of. And sometimes that person who in moral pride is condemning uh, another person for their evil has either the propensity for that same evil, or maybe is even guilty of that same evil. That was illustrated uh, by uh, a politician some years ago. Uh, he was Mr. Victorian uh, in his political office, and uh, uh, the chickens came home to roost. And all legislation that dealt with morality, boy, he trumpeted that legislation. But come to find out, uh, he was guilty of immorality. And I think it had one or two children by another woman. It may be Freudian when we too quickly and over too long a period of time espouse our own virtue. And contempt and condemn others the reason the the disciples were easy on Peter when he denied our Lord was was because they knew the same capability was within their own hearts. and when you know that you're capable of the same thing you're a little less judgmental in your attitude for that other person who has fallen and you're more desirous to cover their sin not in the sense of, uh, of trying to hide it from God or even from them suffering the consequences of what they've sown. But your intent is to not spread it abroad any further than the immediate context of those involved, and you want to restore them to fellowship with the Lord. Moral pride, and the Bible warns us about that, doesn't it? Pride goeth before destruction, and a hardy spirit before a fall. And so in the presence of a fallen friend who sinned against God... You must be careful to exercise love and patience rather than a judgmental spirit because you have the same capability. All of us have been aghast uh, at the crime over in Chino. The same capability is resident within my heart and within yours. Under the same providence, uh, giving ourselves wholly to sin, unrestrained by the Spirit of God, having no consciousness towards sin, the God of heaven, we have the same potential and capability. So the chickens can come home to roost, and we want to be careful that what we're critical of others does not have germination with our own heart and a secret desire to do the same thing. I don't read much uh, from uh, Niebuhr, he's a liberal uh, German uh, theologian, but he said a couple of things that were good, some of them more uh, confusing than el- other. but uh, let me read something he said. Moral pride is the pretension of finite man that his highly conditioned virtue is the final righteousness and that his very relative moral standards are absolute. That's a humanistic statement. Harold titled this message, uh, Life Under the Sun on the University. Education is not the answer to the problems in human society. It'll answer some problems. It'll help you with a mathematical equation. It'll help you to be able to understand, you know, the computer system, the world that's dawning on all of us. In fact, we today in our system of justice categorize crime don't we we say that was a white collar crime or that was a blue collar crime and we associate different penalties to these categories don't we you know white collar crime has less penalty normally than blue collar crime right sure i remember bob senior and i've never forgotten the statement he said education without regeneration will only produce a generation of clever devils education without regeneration will but produce a generation of clever devils we see that don't we we see the wonder of modern technology we see that we see what man can do even with a fallen mind much less less a mind than what Adam had initially We see the wonderful accomplishments of his mind. But because of his moral condition, all that seems to be good and beneficial to man ultimately is turned inward and against him, and we become victims of our own devices. (coughs) Moral pride thus makes virtue the very vehicle of sin. That's a good statement. I want you to write it down if you're a thinker because you might need to think about it more than just hearing it one time. Moral pride thus makes virtue the very vehicle of sin. Well, in uh, verse 23, uh, Solomon says, I gave it the old college try." Okay? As to wisdom... I tested all this with wisdom and I said I'll be wise, but, I was, but it was far from me. All of you who have graduated recently or even graduating in the immediate, uh, you've experienced this, right? Has education answered all your problems? No. You know, the wisdom, the knowledge you sought just seems to be further from your grasp. And, and that was true of Solomon. I think he was a wise man. Very wise man especially in the area of of making judgments and disputes and conflicts with others. And there was a limit to his wisdom, by the way. His wisdom wasn't across the board. And some of the conclusions he reaches causes us to easily understand that his wisdom was not across the board, that it was limited just to certain arenas of life. But, you know, give it... Give it the old college try. That means to do your best to acquire wisdom. But you've got to understand that it's also from above. It's a gift from God. It's a gift from God. And he said, hey, I tried my best. I, I labored, you know, with great effort. But after laboring uh, with my best, it was still far from Give it the old college try, but understand that there's something different about you and God, and that difference in you being finite uh, gives God a problem. Not with him, but with you. And that we'll never know as we're known until we're made into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And because of our finitude, because of our finite being, we cannot comprehend everything. God's thoughts are still higher than our thoughts. His ways higher than our ways. And there's a limit as it were to what god can do because of the tabernacle in which we dwell and the impact of sin upon us even though we're now redeemed sinners now in verses 24 through 26 he personifies wisdom or false wisdom as a seductive woman and you can read proverbs chapter 4 and chapter 7 and see uh, the parallel passage what has been remote uh, is what has been is remote and we've all known that. And exceedingly mysterious. Who can discover it? Uh, you don't need to know everything. You can't know everything. And don't pre- be preoccupied with trying to figure it all out. I directed my mind to know, to investigate, to seek wisdom, an explanation, and to know the evil of folly and the foolishness of madness. I discovered more, bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares. Uh, and a uh, net whose hands are changed chained, one who is pleasing to God will escape her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Solomon said, listen, you can be seduced by false wisdom just as a seductive woman can lead you astray uh, into immorality. And that you need to be warned. Humanism today is impacting upon the minds and hearts of Christians. You know, humanism says man has the answer." that he can resolve his problem. (coughs) Well, I think that uh, human history and current headlines (coughs) are are weighty evidence that the contrary is true. Man doesn't have the solution, (coughs) but man will never confess to that. There's a root of pride in man, in unregenerate man, uh, that says, I'm still good in spite of the record of history. And that despite the consistency of my failures, Somehow I can still do it. You know, you really wonder why there's any optimism at all from our sociologists in this world, right? You know, uh, uh, it's almost as though their minds don't see reality as it is. Are they living in another world? Are they projecting their minds in, uh, you know, out into a utopian society that's based on wistful thinking? Where are they? Well, of course, they're unregenerate. They're, they're in blindness and darkness, and they have no wisdom. The one who is pleasing to God will escape her. That is, it's absolutely possible for you to, to be insulated uh, from uh, false wisdom if you look to the Lord, if you look to the Lord and receive that wisdom which is from above. But the sinner will be captured by her. Behold, I've discovered this, says the preacher, adding one thing to another to find an explanation. You know, that adding one thing to another, turn to John chapter 9. There's an interesting parallel, too, uh, here. Uh, in John chapter 8, I beg your pardon, verse 9. And the woman taken in adultery by the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're wanting to stone her by reason of the consent of the law, (coughs) Jesus stooped down, you know, and he wrote on the ground. We don't know what he wrote, but he well could have written the Ten Commandments, and uh, one or all of them condemned those who were condemning her. And in verse 9, and when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and he, he was left alone in the woman where she had been in the midst. Well... That's, in the Greek, what the Hebrew is, st- is stating here in verse 27. Paul took, I mean, Solomon took all these problems of life, these dead-end streets, and he took them one at a time, and he tried to uh, resolve uh, the problems, and he couldn't do it. Neither will you. There's a mystery to life. There's even a mystery to morality. There's a mystery to virtue that you'll never comprehend and then we come to uh the bottom line in verses 28 and 29 which i am still seeking but have not found i've found one man among a thousand but i've not found a woman among all these now he's still talking about wisdom and he's talking about wisdom you know the optimum wisdom And he says, uh, I didn't find it. And he excludes even himself. He not only denies wisdom to women, he denies it to himself and says he only found one man. And Job had the same plea when he was wrestling with God about his temporal circumstances. And he was asking for one angel that could understand his part and God's part. And, you know, bring the two together in understanding and agreement. And Solomon says, hey, that he said, I haven't found the uh, one man. I've found just one man among a thousand, and that wasn't me. And I've not found a woman among these also. I think David and Solomon had two things that, as far as I know, in the sacred record, they never prayed about. David prayed about most everything. There's no one that's cried out to God more frequently uh, out of a heart of need than David. Right? It's cyclical. I mean, he has a need. He cries to God, God meets the need. When he has a need, he cries to God, God meets the need. (coughs) But there's nothing recorded of David that ever prayed about his sex life. Never prayed about women. And you know the problem, don't you? You know what happened. There's nothing to indicate that that Solomon prayed about women as he took and ascended the throne of that wonderful kingdom uh, what did he pray for? He prayed for wisdom, that as a king, uh, he would be able to judge righteously, and he would uh, be able to discern, regardless of the facts, between truth and error, and render proper judgment to those who come before him as king. And God gave him that. It was an unselfish thing. He, I guess, was requesting, but he never seemed to pray about his private life. And, and you know the consequence. He had either he had 700 to 1,000 wives now, if he looked for a wise woman amongst that group, I, I, maybe that's the reason for his problem. okay? He obviously had difficulty making choices, especially when it came to women. He didn't make a choice, you know, the more the merrier. Um, but is, you see what I mean when, when I say that Solomon was a very wise man, but it didn't go straight across the board? You can be wise in some things and you can be very foolish in others that's why you need to pray about everything so that the wisdom from above becomes your portion now ladies i'm not sure why he couldn't find a wise woman but it could be a problem within his own heart um but without you know running me out of the church on a rail know with tar and feathers you've still got to deal with this text and first peter three seven there's something about you that that god has created that is a point of weakness and i'm hesitant to say more than that but i want to read what luther said he would not be invited by the way to speak to the national organization of women He would never be extended an invitation at all. Um, Luther says, Women are created by God for their own kind of work, namely for the management of the house and the bringing up of children, and each one of us accomplishes that best to which God has created and called him. It's rather interesting. I saw a documentary some weeks ago about women who used to be in leadership in the feminist movement, especially with the national organization of women. And how, many of those gals now were home, having babies, you know, taking care of the house. And some of the, uh, the people interviewing them say, well, you know, what happened? You know, you didn't want children. You wanted to be in the marketplace. You wanted to be successful. You didn't need a man. And now they're married, you know, having kids, enjoying the dishes and the diapers and all that. And it was just a paradox to, uh, you know, those doing the interviewing, how that, that could take place. Well... Again, women are not inferior to men. A woman never has to worry about submission to her own husband if her own husband is loving her like Christ loved the church, okay? Gal, uh, your husband's relationship to the Lord, his love life with the Lord and his obedience to our Lord uh, will monitor and guarantee you that you'll not be abused by reason of abject submission to your husband. Sarah calls her her husband Abraham what? Lord. Well, haven't tried that yet. Uh, don't recommend that you do, unless you're real confident of the consistency of your life and your attitudes before your wife. Uh, potentially, is that possible? Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, it's possible, not probable though, (laughs) okay? You know, do you see the footprints of God uh, in your life? I think those who see the footprints or the handprints of God in their life and their circumstances best understand and relate to the compassion of God. It's in your trying moments and in your testing hours that you'll understand the compassion of God. He'll hold you up. And the psalmist said, if the Lord holds me up, I'll be saved. You won't be free from trial. You won't be free from difficulty and struggle and temptation. Uh, But you won't, you know, be down and out. You won't be counted out. The Lord will hold uh, you up. Well, the bottom line in verse 29, Behold, I found only this, that God made man, and that's Adam, really. God made men upright. And and that's true. Uh, But God also made man with the power of choice, didn't he? And remember that Adam was not virtuous. Adam was created innocent, but not virtuous. You cannot have virtue unless you have a choice of sin and choose good over evil, any more than then you could be obedient without having the opposite choice of disobedience. So Adam was not created virtuous. He could have acquired virtue by making the right choice to obey God. But he disobeyed. And therefore he he became sinful and, 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 and unrighteous. But God made Adam upright. That's a true statement. That's a true statement. But they, that is, all of his descendants, including you and me, have sought out many devices. <clears throat> now, I don't, think, I don't think Solomon was a woman-hater, okay? I think he loved women. He just loved too many of them. Um, but you, in Adam at least, were made up right. But they, all men, have sought out many devices. Uh, Turn, uh, will you, uh, just briefly to 2 Chronicles 26. This word devices is used here and then only one other place, and that's in 2 Chronicles 26, uh, verse 15. The case of Uzziah, a king of Judah, and uh, his war against the Philistines, a great and notable victory. Verse 15. And in Jerusalem, he, Uzziah, made engines of war. Uh, That's the same word, by the way, for devices here uh, in uh, verse 29 of Ecclesiastes 7. And in Jerusalem, he made engines of war, invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners for the purpose of shooting arrows and great stones. Hence, his fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. Does that ring a responsive chord about others in God's word? But when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful to the Lord. For he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And that was just the prerogative of Aaron and his family as priests. The high priest Azariah and the 80 others condemned him for it. And he became leprous and was leprous until the day that he died. You remember Saul, the first king of Israel. The Bible says, in fact, God says when you were little in your own eyes, you were all right. And the danger of becoming strong is that you think you become strong apart from Christ, and then you'll operate apart from the sufficiency and dependence upon him, and your heart will be carried away with its own self-importance, and pride will enter in, and you think the strength had its origin with you and not God. And at that moment... You know, pride has entered into the point where it becomes a destructive force in your life and then you F-A-L-L, you fall. Would you turn to James chapter 3 in closing? James chapter 3 beginning at verse uh, 13. I would also commend to you Proverbs chapter 1 through 8 and First Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, all these things parallel passages are very vital and important in studying the subject of wisdom either god's wisdom or human folly verse 13 of james chapter 3 who among you is wise and understanding let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom wisdom is always proven by what it produces in conduct and attitude but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart do not be arrogant, so and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, having its source in God, but is earthly, natural, demonic. And so, if these attitudes and spirits are manifested, we know their origin, don't don't we? Earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. That's one of the most startling statements in God's Word. That where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Every sin you can name uh, comes out of the camp of jealousy and selfish ambition. And you cannot name one sin that isn't produced by these two mothers. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruit, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And wisdom has strength to it. It has conviction to it. But it also has sensitivity to it. Without any pretense, without any acting. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, we understand better than ever the futility of thinking that we can understand everything. That we can reconcile everything. We thank you for Solomon. We thank you, Lord, that we profit by his lack of wisdom in some areas. And Father, I pray that uh, you'd uh, defeat moral pride in our hearts. It's moral pride that uh, inhibits us from freely forgiving. It's moral pride that makes it difficult for us to restore another. It's moral pride that wants you to judge others. Before your appointed time. And I pray, Lord, that this common denominator of falling short of the glory of God would uh, occupy our hearts and minds, that we too fall short. I pray, Father, you'd give us discerning hearts as uh, to the true nature of wisdom, that it does come down from above and it has particular characteristics that you've defined. And so it's easy for us to discern whether or not the wisdom is earthly, carnal, or demonic. Thank you for the wisdom you've given the leadership of this church. Thank you for our board. Thank you, Lord, for the new budget, the process by which that budget was concluded. And Father, we need your wisdom in the next few weeks and a few months, individually, corporately, as a body, We pray for great wisdom at our board, our church board meeting, our annual meeting on the 26th, for your wisdom, Lord, for each one this week, that we might be submissive to you, understand our needs, that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We thank you the Bible assures us that he is made unto us wisdom, and that if we're truly to have wisdom, we need just. Trust him who has been made bad on our behalf. Should there be one here that has not confessed their sin? Uh, Who has not trusted the only uh, means of forgiveness for their sins, the Lord Jesus, that they would do so at this hour. I pray in his name. Amen.